All right. Now, here's a question. Actually, yeah. It says, Second um, Chronicles 16.12. Asa became diseased in his feet, and his melody was very severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Please explain. Uh, this sounds, yeah, what sounds like it is wrong to turn to physicians. Well, I <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself, but you said it. <laughs> I think you answered your own question there. So, um, honestly, <clears throat> let, me, let me give you a couple of things real quick on this, just this little section here. Um, people who have problems, sickness, disease, things going on, we never want to hurt them. Right? We don't want to put people down and, and we don't want to hurt people and we never want to make someone seem like they should give up or they're not doing good enough. Or, you know what I'm saying? We're we to encourage, we're to help, we're to build up. At the same time, we are to preach truth. Now, Dr. Lake in his day, he was very clear. I mean, there was several times whenever... Remember the 1918 influenza epidemic? We've been hearing a lot about it here lately. Well, it ravaged throughout North America and a lot of the rest of the world, killing over, what is it, 20 million people. And so it also hit America. And it hit a lot of people up in the Pacific Northwest, and, and a lot of them died. Now, Dr. Lake at that time had a church of over 2,500 members, which was the largest church in the area at that point. It was so large that he had to hold services in the Masonic Lodge, right? So, so much for atmosphere. And so, you know, so... And um, he went in, and there was times whenever he went in to different people, and they would quarantine them. They had to quarantine the homes because of the, the flu epidemic. And he would violate the, the quarantine laws. He'd go right on in their house, because they'd call him. He'd go in, and there were times whenever the police... He was arrested a couple of times. Uh, Dowie was arrested a hundred times in one year for practicing medicine without a license. And it got to be so prevalent about Dowie... That while he was on the platform, in the middle of his sermon, they would come arrest him on purpose because they hated him because he preached against sin and against greed and corruption in the Chicago uh, government at that time. And they would come in and arrest him. He would go to jail and it got so prevalent that when they arrested him, everybody would stay put in the congregation. He'd go down, post bond, come back and finish his sermon. (laughs) That's what they did. And they just kept on going. Now, and so... Um, and Dowie was another one. Whenever he started Zion, Illinois, he said, no medicine, no doctors. Matter of fact, he went even further and said, no pork. We're not going to have any pork. We're going to obey the, the dietary laws of the Old Testament. He said, uh, no alcohol. Even to the point where he did not even allow rubbing alcohol or alcohol that they used in lamps at that time. I mean, he was that strict. He was so strict. Now, I believe this is over the top, all right? Because I believe God's heart is to help people and to to love and to bind up the wounded and not to create more wounds. But Dowie was so strict that when his daughter violated his rule concerning alcohol for the lamp, that she had it in her room, she was using it in the old-fashioned lamp, she turned and knocked it over. Her hair was very long, and it caught fire. And she was burned over most of her body. And while she was dying, literally... He went in and he told her, I will pray for you. After you repent, after you apologize for violating the rule I had laid down. Right? Now, I, I understand discipline. But I just don't get that. 
how somebody can see their child, or anybody for that matter, going through the pain of what goes on with burn victims and still have that kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it. It would be very hard for me to even picture that. But Lake was very clear that he would violate these uh, quarantine laws. And there were times that he would go in the house and the police would be called. Somebody would call and tell him. And they would stand out front and wait for him to come out to arrest him. He would see him and go out the back door <laughs> and go to the next house. And so there were over and over again that, that that kind of stuff happened. Now, I have a sermon of his. See, I've got, I've got a bunch of material that's never even been published. Mainly because I checked with some of the publishers and every one of them, all the major ones, you know, the ones that, like, I can't name names, but if I did, you'd know them, the big Christian publishers. Almost every one of them want to edit whatever material you give them. Alright? They don't, they want to read it, and if they agree with it, wonderful, and if they don't, then they want to edit it. That's why I can show you that even the books that are out now about Lake, it says compiled by, but it also usually says edited by. And the reason it's edited is because most people won't publish it the way it was written or spoken in the case of the servants. Because what was spoken, see the things that I'm telling you is the stuff that was in the sermons that they took out. Because it didn't go along with current Christianity and what was being taught. See that's why, see people love Wigglesworth. Oh Wigglesworth, he's awesome. You know, and you hunt down people. I've talked with, them. there was a guy here in Minnesota as a matter of fact, that was uh, Wigglesworth's uh, chauffeur. Uh, George Stormont, right? Yeah. And I talked to him, man, over a period of years. Uh, Albert, um, Albert Hacking? I think it was Albert Hacking. Albert Hibbert was another one. I chased him down. Interviewed, all these, I didn't just chase Lake's people down. I've talked to all of them. If they knew Amy Simple McPherson, I tracked them down. I interviewed them. Jack Coe, A. Allen, you name all of them. Every one of them that I could find that was still alive. Well, all of these people had a lot of similarities in the way they did things, but the one thing that stood out about them is that in the early days, if you went to a doctor, you were in sin. And that's just the way it was in the Pentecostal church. You didn't, you didn't go to a doctor. Then a little bit later on, they said, well, you can. And if you can, you know, it's okay and, and that kind of thing. And then eventually it got to the point where doctors became the hand of God. Do you see the trail? Now, and I'm not here to say either. See, people say, well, what should I do? I can't tell you what to do, and it doesn't matter if I did. You're not going to do what I tell you to do. You're going to do what you want to do. Right? And, you know, I can tell you what I would do, but what good is that going to do you? Because, honestly, where people, you know why people die? They try to walk in somebody else's revelation. All right? Now, I was at a church in a cornfield in Illinois. Yeah, I think it was Illinois. Yeah, Indiana. No, Indiana. Of a man who was well-known years back. Had some tremendous healing, some amazing teaching on faith. But there was a lot of controversy because there was like people died in his congregation, babies died, children died, all these things were going on. Now, if you want to have faith for you, that's fine. I have no problem with that. I will have faith for me. If I need help, I'll ask you for help, right? But if you have a child that needs help, You pray, you believe God, you do what you need to do. But let me tell you, you can decide when you need help. That child cannot. Right? Right. Don't make somebody suffer because of your lack of ability to produce. Alright? You pray, if it don't work, get help. Live to fight another day. Amen? Grow in faith. I know this may not sound, you know, the hardline faith like you might expect. But I'm telling you, I don't want to see somebody suffer or hurt 
or continue to suffer because somebody wants to try to stand strong and prove they got faith. Alright? Bend in that sense. Get help, especially when I'm talking about children. Right? Don't make children suffer. And don't put rules on people that you can't live by. Alright? Even if you can live by them, don't put rules on them. Right? That's called legalism. Preach the gospel, let them decide, let it go between them and God. Amen? Is that simple enough? So, I mean, what Dr. Lake and those guys did, this one sermon, he said, how many in here are pill swallowers? That was the way he addressed it. And he said, yeah, I didn't think so. Nobody would raise their hand because pill swallowers don't like to admit it. That's the way he talked. He said, let me, at one time he put up a poster. I have this poster of him. And it says, inviting all doctors, devils, and demons to come watch. Or doubters. It said, doctors, devils, and doubters to come watch a divine healing service. Now, think of that. He classified doctors with devils and doubters. All right? Now, and I can understand the doubters part. I wouldn't want to go as far as necessarily call them devils just because they're a doctor. Right? We got a doctor in Florida. She was a uh, surgeon. Heart, vein surgeon, uh, worked on uh, something like that. Something, I was trying to remember exactly. After she came through the training for about a year, she came through the training a couple of times, different places. We talked quite a bit. I gave her some, if you want to call it insights, just to help as much as I could. And she went back and eventually after about a year, she shut down her clinic. Quit practicing medicine. Kept her license, but quit practicing medicine. Reopened her clinic as a healing room. Because she was getting greater results praying for people than she was in cutting them up. You see? So, I I can give you three or four stories like that. But that's what Dr. Lake and those guys, he said, listen, this was his stand. He said, if you've got medicine, here's what you do. You go home, you throw it down the toilet, then you apologize to the toilet. That was his opinion, okay? Now, you know, you have to kind of also balance this. With the fact that medicine in those days was pretty barbaric, right? I'll be honest with you, in some cases today, it's just as barbaric. In some cases, radiation, chemotherapy, man, you talk about, yeah, it's cruel. Now, it may be the best that some people have, but come on, it's killing everything else too, right? Now, killing everything else, that's not God's way. It may help you. It may, you may survive. You understand? But don't say it's God's way. Why would God cease using the perfect, like He did with Jesus, to go to another system that isn't perfect? You see? Why would He turn over that system to man that is totally outside of it? Matter of fact, you want to go far enough, remember, the, and we'll look at this when we get into uh, healing and the atonement, which will apparently be tomorrow, but if you look at, we know that in healing and the atonement, that we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 21, where it says that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, because they, remember they sinned, and the serpents came out and bit them all, and, and they prayed, and you know, they told Moses, go get, you know, get us help, get us, get us help. And Moses prayed, and God said, here's what you do, you make a serpent, you put it up, and tell everybody, every man that looks at it will be healed. And so they came over, and every person that looked at that serpent, that brass serpent on the pole, we're healed. Everybody that looked at it was healed. And people say, a lot of people get mad. Why a brass serpent? I don't like that. Because Jesus became sin. The serpent represents sin. Jesus became that so that he took that curse for you. Alright? They didn't have a crucifix of a man. They had the serpent up there. Now, the amazing thing is, if you look at that symbol, it looked like a little cross with a serpent on it. Now, the medical profession uses the same symbol 
similar. Okay? It is, now, they may tell you it's that. It is not that. It has a different name. Matter of fact, if you look at it, there was only one serpent on the, the tree that Moses put up, but there's two serpents in the medical profession symbol. Now, the only place you find two serpents in the Bible is Pharaoh's court. Whenever Moses threw down his rod and Pharaoh's magicians threw down their rods. All right? And God's rod swallowed Pharaoh's rods. All right? So if you really want to be scriptural about it, then you've got to take it back to where it is. And so that's where it comes from. As a matter of fact, if you look at most modern medical science, you can trace it back to the same thing. Now, my wife will tell you real quick. It's almost like being a witch doctor. Witch doctors make potions with powders and mix stuff together, and that's the same thing that takes place today. Right? Now, she doesn't preach, so she can say that at home. Okay? I preach, so I don't say that publicly. Okay? But I'm telling you, about 40% of what we deal with at every healing service is undoing mistakes that doctors did. Now, I'm not saying they did them on purpose, but I'm saying it's mistakes they did. Right? You look at the statistics, and let me tell you, if you're going to go to a doctor, you better have faith. All right? Don't go to a doctor without faith. More people die every year than died in the entire Vietnam War of 12 years. They die every year just from misdiagnosis. Right? You look at the statistics, it is amazing at how bad things can be. And yet you put your life in their hands. And then whenever all that plays out, then, when you have... Dr. Lake's people used to call them last resorters. You know what a last resorter is? When you've done everything you can do through man, and then finally, as a last resort, you come to God to try to get help. Now, thank God I'm not God, because if people did that with me, I'd say, hey, rely on them. If I'm your last resort, forget me. Go back to them. They're your resort. For God's people, God should be our first resort. You want to call him our last resort? He should be our first and last resort. Amen? Now, I'm not saying don't go to doctors. If you need help, get help. Live to fight another day. But while you're going to doctors, learn faith. Learn healing. Learn what you need. Am I being clear enough there that I'm trying to help you and not box you in and not make you think that, you, that you're you know, in deep sin if you go to doctors, but at the same time I want you to grow up because I found out there's something better than doctors. All right? Like I said before, if I needed one, I'd go to one. But I found a better way. It's that simple. So, there's ample evidence in the Bible about various things. And, you know, there's, 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 back in Dr. Lake's day, medical science. See, the reason Dr. Lake was against medicine like he was is because he trained to be a doctor. He went through medical school. And he found out, he said, he even quoted some of the most famous people of his day that were one was the doctor, the physician for Queen, I guess it was it Queen Elizabeth I or something like that back in, in Lake State. I can't remember which queen it was. But her personal physician stated and said that all medicine is based upon experimentation and improved upon by murder. And that's what the doctor said. Right? Why? Because they experiment, and when somebody dies because of it, then they adjust their experimentation. Right? So, and, and again, if that's the best you got, go for it. Okay? But go in with faith and believe God as much as you can. God can direct their hands. But don't try to say that that is God's way. Okay? Now, 
I, I said all this once up in uh, New York, and a lady sitting in the congregation, her husband was a surgeon. And she said, well, you know, we're Christian. We pray with our patients. And my husband prays with his patients. I'm like, good. You know? And I've got people sitting in here that would probably say I'm a Christian karate instructor. You know, and they pray with their students. When I was teaching martial arts, man, I, I baptized three of my students. Two of them in a, in a lake and one in a swimming pool in a motel. Because I led them to Christ as a, a martial art instructor. But was I Christian? Not by any stretch. I mean, I was doing not even what I knew. But I knew enough that whenever they were needing help and, and wanting to know, yeah, I shared with them. But come on, my life wasn't consistent. It, the miracle is they got born again looking at my life. So, you can have people that are trying to do good in, in situations, but now we got it. Well, I'm a Christian bank teller. Well, I'm a Christian car salesman. Well, I'm a Christian... No, none of those things are Christian. You understand? Businesses are not Christian. People are Christian. And if the business violates Christian principles and you stay in it, you're not Christian. Is that clear? Pretty, pretty simple? So, there... You know, but if I, you know, come on, if I stand up and I don't go along and don't pad the bill and don't do these things, I'll lose my job. You need to lose it. You need to go somewhere where God can use you in righteousness. And who knows, you may become a missionary or whatever else it is. Well, but I'll lose my high-paying job. Well, maybe you're making too much money. Well, I don't think that's the case. Well, that's because you're getting too lazy and comfortable. You know, sometimes we need to be shaken up a little bit. So we find out what's real because a lot of this stuff's going to fall apart. When it does, the only thing that's going to be left standing is what God brought together. Amen? So, okay. Now, quit preaching and get back into teaching. <laughs> so, now, this brings up a good point. I'll read both of them, but I'm going to read this one first. Should you walk on a broken foot and say it's healed? Okay? That's a good question because it goes into a couple of things. First off, I did. Okay? I've done both ways. And now here's the thing a lot of people argue with what is called the confession message of confessing something in sin. Now, here's the deal. If you don't believe it, you're lying. Okay? If you believe it, you're not lying. Now, you say, but the foot's broken, and you're saying it's healed. Yeah, and you call those things which be not as though they were. Okay, that's a principle. However, that's if you believe it. You're not calling those things which be not as though they were to get to believe it. You believe it. And because you believe it, you speak. Right? So the idea... Now, I'm not saying you don't say things until you believe them. Because if you say things enough, you will believe them. But when you have a broken foot or anything like that, that's not the time to try to say it till you believe it. Right? You should have already developed yourself so that if you say it's healed, it's because you believe that by His stripes I'm healed regardless of what the evidence shows. Now, just let me, let me illustrate this. We have huge machines that weigh... More than several cars. Sometimes even more than trains. Right? And these machines literally fly. They're called airplanes. Right? They're heavier than air. They shouldn't fly based on the weight. However, because... Now, think about this. If I took one of those planes and pushed it off a cliff, what would it do? Probably just right on down, right? May glide a little bit because of wingspan, but it's going to come down, right? What makes it come down? Law of gravity, right? The law. Now, is gravity a fact? It's a fact, right? It's a law. It's a fact. Now, the Bible talks about things. One of the things it talks about is called the law of faith. 
Right? So faith is a law. Now, faith being a law, a law is something that if violated comes with consequences. Right? If it's not a law, it doesn't have consequences. But if it has a law and you violate it, it has consequences. Now, we have the law of gravity. But now, because we have figured some things out, we also have what we call the law of aerodynamics. Or, more specifically, the law of lift. Right? Now, the law of lift, you can have a plane. And a plane will go down the air, you know, the airstrip. And when it goes fast enough and gets enough wind under the wings and actually over... See, it's called the the law of lift, not necessarily the law of push. Right? And when you get enough vacuum over the top of the wings and enough wind underneath the wings, it literally lifts the plane. Right? Now, that's called the law of lift. The law of lift, when you get going fast enough... The law, now, the, remember this, the law of lift is a fact, right? The law of gravity is a fact. Whenever a plane is flying, does the law of gravity cease to exist? Still working, right? How does the plane fly? It's superseded by a higher law, right? Now, so the law, remember it's a fact. The law of faith, right? This right here, the book, the Bible supersedes the law of fact. Is the foot broken? It's a fact. Right? Now, do you realize that the law of faith to supersede the law of fact, like the law of lift superseding the law of gravity, sometimes takes a bit of a runway. Right? But the stronger the engine, technically, the shorter the runway, and especially the wider the wingspan. Right? The shorter the runway. Now, you can have the law of lift will supersede the law of gravity, and it takes off. But at any time, if the law of lift, if that plane gets slow enough, all of a sudden the law of gravity, super, it doesn't kick back in, it was working the whole time. But it, then it supersedes the law of lift, and the plane goes down. Right? Now, the law of faith supersedes the law of fact. But even whenever... Now, sometimes when you start in a certain area, the law of faith takes a while to supersede the law of fact. Right? Now, during that time, you're going down the runway. It doesn't mean nothing's happening. Right? You're gaining momentum. And when you get a certain momentum, you have the law of lift. Right? You have the law of faith. It supersedes the law of fact. When that happens, usually, the healing takes place. Okay? So, if you... Now, you can be flying along... And yet somebody, if you hang around the wrong people enough, then the law of faith, the law of fact, will take the ascendancy or supersede the law of faith and you will start coming down until you get back around people that will operate in the law of faith and they'll get back and you come right back up. And that's when that's called wavering. Okay? That wavering, you ever see oscillation, waves, right? Sound waves? That's wavering. Why? Up and down, back and forth. The up and down, when you're up, what are you doing? You're walking the law of faith. When you're coming down, you're operating more in the law of fact. Usually that happens not because of you, but because of people around you. Right? Because if it's just you, you'd either stay down or stay up. That's why it is important of who you hang around. That's one of the seven things that Dr. Lake said was vital to having spiritual power. He said, fellowship with like-minded Christians. Right? It's better to walk alone than to walk with people that flat out disagree with you. Because you can't walk with them anyway. Because can two walk together if they don't, if they're not agreed? Amen? 
So you have to walk with people that agree. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to agree exactly 100% all the time in the same way, but you have to learn what's vital and what isn't. Right? Where are you going? Is it vital for you to, to sustain that and to go with it? Now, I have decided. I am going. I'm going as far... See, we talk about fasting and, and, and prayer and those kind of things. Now, I'm not against those. I'm for those. When I first started, though, I had heard those are the cure-all. Right? That's, if you do enough fasting, enough prayer, everything works. But I never could find anybody that could tell me how much was enough. Right? You know, is it one day, three days, five days, 40 days? You know, how, you know one hour, two hours, ten hours? How, how much is enough? And so, not knowing that, I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Now, see, in the martial arts, the, the particular style I was certified in and taught was a, a very no-nonsense, straightforward, street self-defense. It wasn't, we didn't wear the fancy outfits. Uh, we didn't do all the flying jumps, spinning back kicks and all that kind of stuff. Ours was eyes, knees, throat, and groin. Right? Get in, get out, get, get as much done in the least amount of time so that you have the least amount of damage sustained to you. Right? Do as much damage you, as you could and get out. But it was all based on not oriental philosophy, but physiology. How to develop power, how to uh, you know, develop uh, physiological power, how to get more power behind a punch. It was all logic and science. Now, I have, because that's my mental makeup, God has used the same thing to bring out certain principles in healing and in Bible. Now, in understanding this, what I realized is that I had to start stripping away the things that didn't count. Now, this goes along with me walking with certain people because if I wanted flash, there's a lot of groups I could go with. But I didn't want flash. I wanted truth. I wanted substance. Because flash isn't going to help you when your baby's dying. All right? Then all you're going to be able to do is look sad for people and have everybody tell you how sad they are for you. But substance will come through. And so I had to know how to get results, and that's what we went after. Now, I always told our guys, you know, first off, well, I was certified to teach particular arts. Part of it was stick and knife fighting. I taught police departments and a lot of self-defense type stuff. But it was all, um, basically it was called scientific street fighting. That's what it was, essentially. And it was based on Bruce Lee's original art of Jeet Kune Do, which was a straightforward, no flash, not the movie stuff that you saw, okay? Now, the reason I'm saying that is because of this. It gave me an appreciation not for what looked good, but for results. It built that into me. And even though I don't believe God wanted me in it, I believe that I took something good out of having been in it. You understand? Turned bad into good. Not saying it was God's will, because He kept telling me for years before that to get out. As a matter of fact, I was driving with my son to open another school. We had schools going. I was driving down East Texas to open up another one. And actually, he was taking a nap at the time, and God spoke to me. And he said, How long are you going to pursue something that has an end when you can pursue me and I have no end? And I, I woke John up. I'm like, This is what God said. And he, What are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know, you know. I mean, this was my livelihood. This is what we did. This is what I, you know. It'd be like, I told my wife one time, I said, I feel like I've spent my entire life learning, you know, basket weaving, and now it's totally useless. Because I can't use any of it, you know. And then I drive a little bit further down the road, and God spoke again. And he said this. He said, you're using your hands to teach people to kill. I want to use your hands to teach people to heal. I pulled over, told my son, we can't do this. We turned around, went back. 
ended up closing down our schools and began. And at that point, I had nobody was calling me to preach. Nobody, I had nothing lined up. I shut down everything, walked away from everything, had no income, nothing. And told God, you know, what do you want me to do? And I actually went to work at a fast food place because I had some management experience. And so I'm, I, I like to walk, so I walk back and forth to work every day. One day I'm walking, this ex-student of mine calls me up and says, Curry, I want you to, I'm fixing to open up a school. It's state of the art. We've got all the equipment and all this stuff. And I want you to teach martial arts. And if you, I'll pay you X amount of dollars. And it was, you know, five to six figures, literally a year. And he said, and all you, and plus you can have all the private lessons you want. Because at that time I was making between $150 and $250 an hour for private lessons. And he said, you can teach all the private lessons and you keep all the money from that. And I'm like, you know, whenever you're broke, that sounds real good. And, I, you know, I'm trying to bargain with God. Come on, God, then, you know, I'm not going out and fighting. This is just a skill I have. You know, all, all the things that you try to rationalize it with. And so I'm walking to work one day, and I, and I told God, I said, because this guy wanted a five-year contract. Because I'd already quit teaching, and he didn't want me to, he didn't want to open the school and then me bail on him after a month. And so I'm walking to, to work one day, and I told God, I said, God, I've got to know something. You've got to tell me right now, what do you want me to do? Because if I sign this contract, I am unavailable to you for five years because I can't bail. And if I start getting too close to you, I'll have to go preach and I'll have to bail on this. And I said, so you tell me what you want me to do. Right then, God spoke probably clearer than I've ever heard him. He said this. He said, it's not what I want you to do. It's what I want you to be. And he said, I want you to be my son and I want you to be happy. Now, See, for me, hey, I was raised Pentecostal. I didn't think God really cared if I was happy or not, right? Because most people I saw didn't look happy, you know, serving God. So I just saw, and, and, and then he asked me, he said, when you're my son, what makes you happy? And I thought, well, that's easy. When I'm your son, man, <laughs> preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, man, there's nothing else like it. And he said, now you know what I want you to do. See, he took me full circle. And, and right then, I, I went to this, that business. As a matter of fact, I call, called my student. And I said, um, first off, I can't take the job. I'll never take the job. And if you ever call me and offer me something like this again, just remember this. I didn't teach you everything I know, and I will come find you. <laughs> Simple as that. I, I want him to know that I didn't want to be tempted. Because right? it was a strong temptation. <clears throat> and so we... You know, we let go, and then I ended up actually at that point. I went on down to my job, and and I told them, I said, I've I've got, this is not what I'm supposed to do. Nothing wrong with what I was doing, but it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And so I, I told them, I said, I I got to give my notice, and I'll quit. So I gave my notice and went back home and told my wife, and I said, you know, I'm supposed to be preaching, and yet nobody knew us, nobody knew to call. I wouldn't get in there. I had nothing lined up, nothing. And she was actually working a job at that time, too. And, she's, and I told her, I said, I've, I quit my job, and I'm just going to get a hold of God, and we're going to see what we're supposed to be doing and where. And she told me, she said, well, you quit your job. She said, let me tell you, you're not going to lay around the house. She said, you're going to get a hold of God. When I get up and go to work, you're going to get up. And you're going to pray and fast and whatever you've got to do to get it all done. And so I said, okay. So she got up to go to work. I'd get up. I'd put on worship music, and I'd walk through the house for about two or three hours at a time, just praying, praying in tongues, worshiping God, and saying, God, what am I supposed to be doing? And then, right after that, somebody called us and said, we heard about you, because we were getting success praying for people, but it was all private. I mean, we, it was in our home. And, I, and this person said, we have a son that's paralyzed, and we want to know, if we fly you up to Asheville, North Carolina, will you come up here and pray for our son? I said, well, I can pray from here. 
And they said, yeah, but if we bring you up, will that be okay? I said, yeah, okay. And I said, can I, can I bring my daughter with me? And they said, yeah. So they flew us both up. And for that whole week, we weren't in a church. We were in the house. And the house was packed out. I prayed for the boy. People heard we were coming. They came from Rick Joyner's group in, in Morningstar. And different groups came in. They were packed in. I started teaching on healing. We'd preach from like 7 in the morning till noon. Then I would walk down the street, eat a sandwich. When I got to the other house, there were three houses on that street. They were packed with another whole group. I'd preach from there from about 1 till about 7 at night. Then we would eat a little small meal on the way to the next house. And from about 7.30 till sometimes, well, usually about midnight or 1, we, we were preaching and praying for people. Out of that, we prayed for 200 people that week. 40 of them had terminal cancer. At the end of the week, all 40 of the terminal cancer patients were healed and declared clean. Out of the 200 people we prayed for, I don't know of any but two. Well, let me put it this way. Everybody we prayed for that we know of was healed. There were two we couldn't check out and catch up with. So we, we kept records of everybody else. There was, the reason I'm telling you this is because when I started... In the martial arts, I was into, believe it or not, nutrition and fitness. I worked at Bally's. <laughs> you can't tell of it now because you want to drink and eat. But I, I could tell people what to eat and how to eat and all this kind of stuff. And I was a floor trainer at Bally's at, uh, back then as president and first ladies. How to exercise, what exercises to do. So I knew about all the supplements and nutritional supplements, all that stuff. I mean, I, you know, even in the martial arts, I had to certify. I was also in Wing Chun Kung Fu. And to certify for some of the belt rankings, I had to go through some Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine and herbalism. And so I could tell you what herbs to take. I mean, I, I knew all that stuff. But I laid it all down to teach this because this is better. Right? It works. It's more sure. So the reason I'm saying this is because you have supplements. If you want to know what a supplement does, you don't add four new supplements at the same time. Because then whatever takes place, you won't know which supplement did it. Right? So you take one supplement, you add it in, and you wait until you see the change. And whatever changes take place, then you can say, okay, this supplement has this effect. And then you add in another one. And when you add in the other one, a lot of times you can even discount the other ones. You know, you can discard one until you find out what each one does individually. And then you know which ones help, which ones don't. And then as you start adding them together, you can see if there's a synergism, if they work together well, or if they interfere with each other. Right? Well, I took that same mentality over into prayer and fasting. And whenever I started saying, okay, what is truth? And I said, okay, if fasting is true, then we ought to fast. If prayer is true, then we ought to pray. If that's, if that's where power comes from, you understand? Not if it's good to do. But is that, what, is that the catalyst for power? Because everybody I knew was praying and fasting and still not seeing any power, and yet claiming that was the answer. And so I decided... Before I add in long periods of prayer and long times of fasting, I will see how far faith alone will take me. And so we just started praying for people. I didn't fast. I didn't pray any extended, you know, just normal kind of walk around. You know, nothing extended. No set times, that kind of stuff. And as we started doing that, there was a woman that actually was going to come out to our house. She needed deliverance, serious deliverance. We had known her from years before. And my wife had talked to her and her family and said, man, this woman has devils and it's bad. And, you know, she wants to come out and get prayed for. And I said, okay, tell her, come on. So they had it all set. And my wife said, aren't you going to fast and pray, get ready for this? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And she goes, why not? I said, I'm not going to do it on purpose. Because I want to show you that the fasting and prayer is not some type of magic talisman 
or charm that does it. It is faith in Jesus that does it. Now, fasting and prayer can help you get into shape to hear God and be more available. But it doesn't make you spiritual. It doesn't give you power. Okay? Now, as we started, she came out, we got her free, proved the case. Alright? Now, the fasting and prayer, like I said, it, it helps you kill the flesh. It helps you die to self. But it is not power in and of itself. And it does not give you power in and of itself. But it does tend to make you more um, sensitive to the spirit realm. Okay? That's why people, witches pray, witches fast. Right? Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and go with me real quick. I want to let you out here fairly quick. To Acts chapter 3. And I will prove what I'm saying here. Acts chapter 3. While you're getting there, it says a question. How do you help someone who is tormented but doesn't want you to pray for them? Or pray over them. Walk away, walk around a corner and pray for them, for them there. You do not have to be present. right? You don't have to do it right then. Because you don't know that's them that doesn't want you to pray for them. Could be a lying devil. Okay? So, walk away if you have to. Many times it is easier to pray for people at a distance. Ain't it right? Just like it's easier to love some people from a distance. Alright? So, it kind of works the same way. Um, Like I said earlier, everybody loves Wigglesworth. Everybody loves Lake. You know why? They're dead. That's why they like them. Whenever Wigglesworth was alive, very few people liked him. He was too mean. And it's funny because when I was around Summerall, there was times people wouldn't like him. He loved people. But there was times, I guarantee, I have him on tape where he made people mad, not because of his preaching, which is acceptable, but because he said something to a woman. He told people, he said, come down and get prayed for. You want to come? Come now. He said, all right, ushers, cut it off. Nobody else comes. And this woman snuck in the line on the other end after he told everybody to stop. He goes down the line, prays for everybody, gets there and goes, where would you come from? And she said, well, I, I just snuck down here at the end. He goes, I thought I told you to come then or not to come at all. And she said, he had kind of laughed like, okay. Yeah. He goes, go sit down. I'll not pray for you. And she looked kind of like, are you joking? And you, you could sense the room change. All of a sudden, he's not this cute old grandfather type guy. Now he's this mean old man. And everybody's looking at him. He goes, I mean it. Go sit down. And then he turned to the usher and he said, I thought I told you not to let anybody else get in line. Jumped on them. And everybody says, well, that's, that's mean. And he went back over and started preaching. And the guy he goes, some of you think I'm mean. But let me tell you, if she wasn't serious enough to come when I gave the offer, she wouldn't keep it. He said, you got to come. Whenever I tell you to come, you come running. That's what he was. You know, that's what we, we need a little more of that. But where did he get that? Wigglesworth. Whenever he went to visit Wigglesworth, nobody was there. You would think... Here's this general of God at his home. Everybody knew where he lived. You would think there'd be a line of young men lined out the door waiting to have an interview with this great general of the faith. And Summerall said, every time I went there, nobody was there. I was the only visitor he had for several years. And you think, why? That is crazy. That's because you wouldn't like him. He was mean. When, when Summerall first went up to him, went to his house, 
He was, you know, all dapper dressed and had the bowling hat and the umbrella over his arm and had a newspaper under his arm. And Wigglesworth said, you can come in, but leave that trash outside. Mussolini and Hitler will soon be in hell and I'll have none of that trash in my house. And he had to leave his paper outside. Now, Lake, on the other hand, would get the newspaper delivered to his house. And on Sunday morning before going to church, all his kids would come running and jump in bed and he'd read the comic pages to them. And he knew Will Rogers and all these kind of people. That, so you can see the difference. So Wigglesworth's idea or his standards. See, now we got people, well, I'm like Wigglesworth. I won't even let a newspaper in my house. No, you ain't like Wigglesworth until you've raised 21 dead people. That's when you're like Wigglesworth. And most people want Wigglesworth's anointing without Wigglesworth's life. So you've got to live the life to walk in that kind of power. You've got to live the life. That's just simple. I can't get around it. Now, but... Did God say no newspaper? No, that was a, a discipline in Wigglesworth set. Because if God had said newspaper, no newspaper, he'd have said the same thing to Lake, and Lake shouldn't have had power if he let a newspaper in his house. You see? So you have to look at it. Your, what you believe is what allows God to work through you or not. Your belief is the breaker that allows the power of God to flow through. And if your breaker is big enough, you'll only see headaches and backaches and things like that. But if you can start to get your breaker bigger and realize that it's your believing is what counts, then God can flow through you more. So take all these limits off. Take these things that we try to put on God off of Him. God won't... Yeah, I've heard people, God ain't going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost till you get that jewelry off. I've heard it. And then, I've seen harlots come in. Mini skirts, low-cut tops, everything that people look at and, and, the, and the women all talk about. And they'll come down there crying, mascara running down their face. And yet they'll get down there and repent. And then somebody will come along and say, receive the Holy Ghost. And bam, they'll take off in tongues. Nobody even told them what to do. And here they are. They've still got their jewelry, still got their short dress. still got. But the problem now, I'm not saying they're going to stay that way. But you said it wouldn't happen until they changed. And I'm telling you, it's a gift. Amen. See, it's a gift. That's what you've got to get. A gift is given. See, there's only two things you can do to a gift. Receive it. Reject it. Isn't that right? You can't do anything to deserve it. Because once you deserve it, it's not a gift. Now it's a reward. Isn't that right? But we keep, we keep thinking, if I can get spiritual enough, God will give me a gift. No. If you get spiritual enough, you'll have fruit. See, fruit is grown. Gifts are given. Let God use you. And quit putting qualifications on it that God didn't put. Amen? And just start to set people free. See, when I get to heaven, I would much rather have God say, Curry, let me tell you, man, <laughs> you were way too gung-ho, man. You healed a lot of people. I did not want healed at that time. <laughs> Do you just, I wish you to just slow down. I would rather have him say that than to say, why did you walk past him? Didn't you think I loved him? What, what were you thinking that you were so busy and so entangled in your mind that you didn't see the people hurting around you? See, I'd much rather be in the first category. See, in the military, we used to have a saying, kill them all, let God sort them out. Right? Well, in Christianity, it should be heal them all, like God, let God sort them out. Amen? Just go after it. Amen? But we have the other idea. You know, we have this, you know, only a few are going to be saved. Yeah, and bless God, only a few are going to be healed too if I have my way about it. That's what we think. Because few people deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Amen? Well, if you hadn't found Acts 3 by now, just give it up. You ain't going to find it. <laughs> I've given you plenty of time, okay? Well, now we got to hurry here. Now, Acts chapter 3. This is after the day of Pentecost. That just happened in the last chapter. Now Peter and John, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. 
And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon them, upon him with John, said, Look on us. Okay, stop right there. Now, poor Peter. Okay, he just did not have the benefit of our modern seminaries. Because his theology is just totally messed up here. I mean, come on. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't know better than telling somebody to look at us? And they right, and what? Oh, don't look at me. Look to Jesus. And what we say? Peter didn't have that theology. And they right? Peter didn't say that. Why? Because you keep trying to put yourself down. And then you wonder why God doesn't use you, why you have no power. Because you keep saying, well, I'm nothing. Yeah, we know. And you keep proving it because you don't do anything. Because you are what you do. Essentially, if you lie, you're a liar. And they right? You steal, you're a thief. So you are what you do. He that does righteousness is righteous. You know what the Bible says? Hello? In this scripture? So, here, Peter must have had some... Thie- either he was wrong or we're wrong. Right? Now, if I have to choose between his results and your results, let me think. Yep, I'm right. No, I'll, I'll choose his. Okay? He had results, right? He says, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Which proves he was Pentecostal. <clears throat> but such as I have, that's what he said, but such as I have, give I thee. Now, think about this. Notice what he says. Listen. He's telling this guy, listen, I don't have, I know you're wanting money, I don't have money. Now, he couldn't say this a few days later because they laid gold and silver at his feet. Isn't that right? And then they distributed it among the saints. But notice what he said. He goes, listen, I don't have money. But what I have, I give you. You see, again, Peter's theology is just all messed up. He, he, should, he should have known better than to say this. He should have said, like what we say, let's pray and see what the Lord will do. And then what he should have said? Because that's what he said. I mean, no, that's not what he said, is it? He said, what I've got, I give. He didn't even say, let me see if I can give you what i got. He didn't say, well, let me see. Hmm, lame from your mother's womb. Sounds like a generational curse. What was your mom? What did she do? What did your dad do? You see, he didn't do any of that. He went straight to the point. Isn't that right? He said, listen, what I got, I'm giving you. End of story. No questions. He didn't even talk. To, he didn't even take time to pray. I mean, he couldn't have been very spiritual. Isn't that right? I mean, right away, he's, he's saying, what I got, I give you. That's Peter shooting his mouth off again. Real quick. He says, but... Such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, let's look at this pattern. What I have, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And notice what he did. He told him to rise and walk, but then he did something to help him rise and walk. He says, he took him by the right hand... See, I'm, so I'm scriptural when I pray for people and take you by the hand, right? He took him by the right hand. You notice he didn't lay hands on his head. He took him by the right hand. When he took that right hand, and notice what he did. Took him by the right hand and lifted him. In other words, you notice he didn't say he helped him up. He said he lifted him up. In other words, he did all the work. The man's legs were still crippled. Right? He lifted him up by his own strength. 
his arm strength. And now notice what happened. And immediately, immediately when? When he lifted him up. What happened first? He lifted him, right? And immediately, the ankle bones and his feet received strength. Now, what is this called? Healing? No. This is called the working of miracles. That's what it is. It is a gift of the Spirit in operation. But it's in operation by faith. Peter started first by saying, What I got, I give you in the name. What did he have? The name. Right? He, did, he didn't realize. He said, The gift I have, I give you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm going to operate in the gift of working miracles. That's what he did. How do you know? Because he did something to cause it. Whenever you do something to cause it, that's called the working of miracles. That's, that's why, see, it's not the gift of miracles. There's no gift of miracles. There's a gift of the working of miracles. That's why you never see it in church. Nobody wants to take a chance to work it. Everybody wants the gift of faith. Everybody wants the gift of healing. Why? Because God's going to do it. We're going to stand back and watch. See, faith is for protection and provision, not for miracles. The gift of the working of miracles, a human has to do something. Right? They have to do something. And that works it. He grabbed him by the hand. He lifted him up. That worked the miracle. He was acting his faith. And the gift of the Spirit kicked in. And the man was healed. Notice the strength didn't come until Peter did something. If Peter would have just stood there and did nothing, nothing would have happened. Unless he'd have kicked into the gift of faith. Right? But he didn't. He was operating the gift of working the miracles. Now, he goes on. He says, And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, what did he see? All them running together. Apparently they were getting pretty excited about it. He answered unto the people. Here's what he said. You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? There's a secret. You notice what he says? It wasn't by our power, and it wasn't by our holiness. You know what? We didn't fast enough to get this. We didn't live good enough to get this. We didn't do anything to deserve this. It wasn't by our own power, is the power of God, but he used it freely, isn't that right? And it wasn't by our holiness. We didn't live right to get this. We didn't fast enough. We didn't pray enough. We didn't do all the things that's required. So how did this happen? He tells them right here. Then he gets to preach. And he starts blaming them. Now, see, Peter, he's a real good one to take advantage of a situation. Because he starts preaching. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up. See, he's pointing a finger. You delivered him up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So, remember all the controversy over the passion of Christ? Who actually killed him? It was our sins that did it. Isn't that right? First off. But Pilate was ready to let him go. But the Jews here said no. He said, you delivered him up. There's your answer. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, last sentence. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. What did it? Wasn't their own power of holiness, but it was the name of Jesus and faith in that name. Isn't that right? 
So the faith, the name of Jesus and faith in that name did it. Now let me ask you this. How do you get to be a Christian? Anybody having faith in the name of Jesus? Okay, how many of you are Christians? Okay, so you have faith in the name of Jesus, am I right? Now, have you lived good enough to deserve to be used? Have you fasted enough? Have you prayed enough? Is it your power? Or is it the power of God? Wow, you sound just like Peter. Don't you have everything Peter had? Same spirit? Same name? Is the name of Jesus faith in that name? Do you have faith in that name? If you don't, you're not his, isn't that right? So you have the same thing Peter had to raise that man up. You know the only difference between you and him? Peter was willing to not only pray, he is willing to reach out and grab him and lift him up. Amen. That's the difference. That's called the gift of working miracles. i got testimonies on that. You're going to get some probably tomorrow as we start talking about it. And we're going to talk about the anointing and what it is and what it ain't. We're going to talk about all kinds of neat stuff like that. Now, I want to, I want to stress this to you. If, it was, if you could live good enough to be used, then God would be rewarding you. It would be pay for you to live right, for Him to give you power. When you think that you can fast to deserve to be used, when you think you can do anything to deserve to be used, at that moment you have just established and set up your own righteousness rather than relying on the righteousness of Christ. And when you do that, you have just removed yourself from truly being used of God. When in reality, the answer is this. When you realize that it's by grace, you heal the sick by grace, you get healed by grace. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. Right? Boasting is precluded. Why? By the law of faith. We believe in Christ. We don't boast. We do our job. We do what we're supposed to do. Amen? Isn't that simple? Tomorrow i got some scriptures. I'm going to show you that you'll like them after you get over them. Okay? So, do y'all get anything out of this today? You have the name of Jesus? Faith in the name of Jesus? The only thing you need is boldness. Isn't that right? And you get that by being sure. Are you sure? It's pretty simple. Right? All right, well, God bless y'all. We'll see y'all tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock.